Our second reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this four weeks kind of rounds out the four weeks that we were talking about faith. If you remember at the beginning of the month, I talked about that we would sort of look at this month as a challenge. What is it like to live faith day to day? it like for us to, to come, to show up on Sunday, but then what does it mean to live faith Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so on and so forth. And these four passages that are in Luke, that are part of the lectionary, all seem to help us turn the gem of faith a little bit to see multiple facets. In the first week, we were reminded about the mustard seed, right? That even just a mustard seed was enough, and we were reminded that we are enough Our faith, no matter where we are or what we're doing, is always and ever enough. In the second week, when we had this, the ten lepers and uh, one came back and the nine left, we were reminded that even if people don't come back, our faith still causes healing. That our job is not to necessarily expect all sorts of accolades, but instead to say we do the job of faith. In our third week, last week, we talked about doing the things that matter, the right things matter more than the result. Remember the widow that came week after week after week asking for justice, and finally the judge is like, I'm kind of over this lady showing up every week. I'm going to give her what she asks for. That we go do the thing that we're called to do. And in this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the limits. Now, understandably, this, there's a limit to your self-love was really more if you are a uh, popular music fan. There was a Feist song that then was uh, made popular by David Blake called There's a Limit to Your Love. I did the best I could with, uh, you know. So that's why that's there. But you think about today, it's an interesting intersection of today's, of days. I, I mentioned that earlier. You know, the first thing is that it's Reformation Sunday. Just a little over 500 years ago, the story goes... Martin Luther in Wittenberg, in the church there, pounded 95 theses onto the door of the church. And with that one act, set an entire multiple centuries, now almost half a millennia of change from the church. That's a big deal. And who we are as Presbyterians is thanks to multiple generations of Protestant reformers 
We give thanks to Martin Luther, who started things, but then John Calvin, who was a little bit of a contemporary but came slightly after, and who really set apart this understanding of reformed thinking. And then John Knox, who really, really um, valued what, Martin Luther, uh, what uh, John Calvin was saying, helped to set up Presbyterianism. It was a Scot, and so most of our Presbyterian heritage comes from uh, Scotland. There are still some pre- Presbyterian churches who have a big, like, Scottish celebration right around the, you know, kind of in this time of year where they'll get the bagpipes out and they'll march it around. If any of you are bagpipe players, I mean, here's your chance to play them at the church. Again, we also gather today for our congregational meeting where we will elect new leaders in the church. Folks, you know, in our, in our bylaws and in our book of order, people can only serve for six years and then they have to go off for a year before they can come back on. And so that means we don't have people who are installed in, uh, in positions of the church anymore for a lifetime. Um, that used to be the case, but now we invite people with different perspectives and different ways of looking at things to come on on a regular basis. And we also are going to start the process of welcoming new members into the congregation. Ten folks right now who have said, I'd like to make Old Stone my home. And so we're going to invite them. We're going to tell their story a little bit more, and we'll introduce them to all of you here in another month or so. So a lot of things going on today. And this is part of the reality of life. And it turns out church and life are very similar, that we're constantly on the move. We're constantly changing. We're constantly doing new things in new ways. This is part of going through life. And this is the core of the Reformation. The motto of the Reformation in Latin was Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda. If any of you are Latin people, I I did not study Latin, so I think I said it right for the best. But what it means is the church reformed, always reforming. And that was the motto that all the reformers carried with them, that the church is always reformed, And we will always look towards more reforming. That the 500 years since Martin Luther and the 95 Theses has meant that we are growing and changing and looking at things and rethinking. And it's a reminder that we constantly have to look at the past and the present and the future. We need to see what has truly mattered in all of the years that we have existed. Take those things and try to apply them to today. And at times, the things that maybe have become the things that we liked, but are not the things that make us who we are, we need to be willing to take those away, to skew, that we may have skewed things, and we need to reapply the things that matter most. Church reformed. The church always reforming. Now in our text today in Luke, we hear a parable that isn't shocking for us to hear. I think this is a parable that sounds pretty similar to others that we might have heard in any of the Gospels. We are met with a Pharisee. And when you hear Pharisee so often, we're reminded of basically these priests. The Pharisee class was a a group of priests whose job, and their job was to really hold on to the law, and they were good at it, and they were proud of it. They were the ones that could name every single law that you had to follow. And then, 
he also sets out those who he perceives don't follow the rules. And he names them one by one. He talks about the thieves. He talks about the rogues. And in the Greek, the rogues is, is really more those who are crooked and unjust, those who aren't playing by the rules. You have the adulterers. And he sets aside even this tax collector over here, that guy. We're actually going to spend two weeks now talking about tax collectors, which is interesting, because next week we're going to talk about Zacchaeus. Tax collectors were just viewed with so much disdain by the people at that time, in part because for most worshiping Jewish people, they felt like the tax collectors were sellouts. Because they were working with the Romans, they were working with the state. They felt like they were kind of getting, uh, they were being, uh, they were taking advantage of their of their situation. The other thing that often was the case is that um, they very often cut a little bit off the top for themselves. Their ability to extort, their ability to, you know, charge usurious amounts, you know, multiple percentages of uh, interest wasn't unfamiliar. And so if you had somebody you knew in the area that was a tax collector, well, you likely didn't have a high opinion of them. Just wasn't the type of person that you wanted to associate with. And so the Pharisee is really sure, mind you, to his prayer to God to point this stuff out. This is not just hanging out with a group of your buddies and being like, yeah, you see those guys over there? This is like God. Holy one, thank you for not making me like that person over there. Because, God, you know I am so good. I, uh, I fast twice a week. I don't just follow the law, but I do even more. And, by the way, I take all of my, my expenses, everything that I own, and I give 10%. Yes, I am an ideal Pharisee. I am the very model of a modern major Pharisee. That's his prayer to God. But meanwhile, it is this one who is presumed worthless, the narrow to do well, the one that no one wants to associate with, that has found himself on the fringes, Because the Pharisee would have had a right to be in the center of the temple, closer to God. And the Pharisee has positioned himself further to the edge, finding himself unworthy, beating his chest, praying for forgiveness. And Jesus says it is the one on the margins, not the one in the center. The one that we're supposed to presume is not the one we're supposed to like. The one that we don't find valuable. The one that we presume is the one that would not ever be able to get things right is actually the one who gets things right the most. That when it came to the act of forgiveness and justification, it was a tax collector that had done the right thing. What's interesting, though, is how Luke is really specific about who is receiving this parable. This is not sent to his disciples. This is not sent to a crowd of people. This is not something that you would have heard at the Sermon on the Mount, any of that. 
No, it's sent to those who had trusted or who had faith in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. And that word contempt is stronger than just how we perceive it as contempt. In one of my, in one of my um, commentaries, the way that they translate it is to say set as not. So when Jesus is talking about these folks who saw themselves elevated and saw others with contempt, it's that they saw others as completely and totally worthless and a waste, set as not. There are limits to the faith we can place in ourselves and what we believe is our own righteousness. Especially, it seems, when it moves towards the presumed worthlessness of others. But, on a day like today, it's important to remember the gift of reformation. That the church is reformed and always reforming. The gift of Luther and Calvin and Knox is that we have a chance to renew and to grow. That none of us need to be Pharisee. None of us need to be tax collector. None of us need to talk about how wonderful we are, and none of us have to feel like we have to stand on the edges, beating our chest, hoping that God will forgive us. If there's one thing to take away from these four weeks in Luke about faith, It's a simple message that God is always faithful. God has always been faithful to God's people. God has never stopped being faithful to God's people. Whether we don't feel like we have enough, we do, because God is with us. Whether we wish that those that we were trying to work with would come back and tell us how wonderful that we have been, and thank you, thank you, thank you. God's healing, God's holiness still works through in those times. That when we don't see the results of what we do because those who are in power do not respond, it is okay because God is still faithful. And at times that we struggle with balancing out who we are. Because Lord knows, any given week, we can be tax collector. And we can be Pharisee. Our own institutions can be Pharisee and tax collector. But God is still faithful. There's not ever a moment, ever, that God will not say, I love you, you are my beloved. Because there's nothing in here that even says that the Pharisee is unloved. Friends, in uncertain times, in uncertain circumstances, in times that we are asked to do things that we are uncomfortable with, the thing that we can guarantee, the thing that is always the truth, the thing that has always and ever been the truth, from the point of Genesis to Revelation, is God's faithfulness. It's a struggle 
I know. Sometimes to believe that. It's a struggle to think that in the midst of the day-to-day, there is still a God who loves us. That when we feel like the tax collector on the fringe, that there is still a God who's faithful. That there is. So as we gather today, as we celebrate the Reformation, as we celebrate new leaders coming into the church, as we celebrate new members being welcomed into this congregation, and all of the good and beautiful that is, and also as we move forward in our lives here and when we're at home, those times that we are scared and nervous and frustrated and annoyed and happy to point out the brokenness in others, or having to be the one who receives the acknowledgement of brokenness, let us remember that God is faithful. Thanks be to God.